The following is a teaching podcast from High Beam Ministry. We hear basically this same phrase repeated over and over again. You have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus is teaching his people, here's what kingdom citizens look like as it relates to the law of God. So here are these characteristics and these indicatives about the citizens of the kingdom. Here are these characteristics about the citizens of the kingdom as it relates to the law of God. And it's not that the citizens of the kingdom no longer pay attention to the law of God. In fact, quite the contrary. Being a citizen of the kingdom raises things to an entirely different level as it relates to the law of God. How do you practice the religion of Christianity within the context of the kingdom? He talks about prayer about fasting, about giving, all of these things. What does our religion look like when it's being practiced as kingdom citizens? This is The Truth Barista, your link to how God defines our day. Welcome to the Airzats Coffee Shop. This is Jay, your Truth Barista, and I'm serving up a steamy cup of God's truth for the average Joe. You can catch me and this podcast on my websites, truthbarista.com, all one word, truthbarista.com, and highbeamministry.com. That's H-I-G-H-B-E-A-M, ministry.com, as in car high beam. We're shining the light of God's truth on the road ahead. Well, Truth Barista, here we are once again in the anointed booth. And I have a judgment. You know what the judgment? Oh, absolutely. And the judgment is this. The last couple of weeks when we've been going through some of this stuff in Matthew 7, it's been so good. Yeah, it is. It's really good. And the one thing that you and I have talked about previously is how amazing it is that people take this information from Matthew 5 through 7. And it really is one unit. I mean, this is one you know, basically Jesus is talking about the Torah. How do his disciples do the Torah, both in the laws and then in practice, in just general living? And then you get into some of the later chapters, like chapter six and seven, and people will speak about, well, this is how Jesus wants us to pray, but they don't talk about prayer in context with everything else. Same thing with judging. And then we're what we're going to do is we're going to look at the second part of this chapter seven and see how all of this binds together. So for the people next door, right over there listening to us, you know, the Old Testament is still relevant today, but it's relevant in a different way. But back in the day when you said doing Torah, that was all they knew how to please God, right? Unpack that just a little bit because I think the people over there are not quite understanding what you just said. Well, this is what's fun because it says after Jesus rose from the dead, now this is when he met the two guys on the road to Emmaus, he unlocked everything he needed to tell them about himself, his death and his resurrection. Why? says from the Torah and the prophets. In fact, all they needed to know to get saved was the Torah and the prophets, what we would call the Old Testament today. But it says law. My Bible doesn't say Torah. It says the law and the prophets. So where's the translation, Fupa? Okay, it's because going from the Hebrew, which is Torah, to the Greek, 
the Septuagint writers and others translated it law, nomos. Okay, the problem is nomos is a much narrower understanding of God's Torah. Torah means instruction. It comes from a word yara, which means to throw at a target, and it comes from the word or related to the word more, which means to teach somebody, to give them guidelines or instruction. So really, while God's law, his Torah, incorporates commands and laws, it also has guidelines and instruction how God wants his people to live. So if you just talk about law, you're selling the Torah short. The Torah is all that and more. So Jesus is saying to the guys on the road to Emmaus, here I am in the Torah and here I am in the prophets. And in fact, when Jesus is teaching his disciples, he's just teaching them out of the Old Testament. When Peter is preaching in the book of Acts, he's preaching out of the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures. So really, it wasn't until a number of years later that the letters and the writings recording what Jesus said and the disciples' teachings on those teachings, that's what we call the Gospels and the apostolic writings. Now we have not just the Old Testament or the Hebrew scriptures, we have the combined word of God. In fact, it says in Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and says, all scripture is inspired by God and is suitable for correction, rebuke, et cetera, et cetera. He's not talking about the New Testament. That's not even there yet. In fact, his letter to Timothy will be there in the New Testament, but it ain't there yet. Paul's still writing it and delivering it to Timothy. He's talking about the Old Testament that's inspired and is suitable for all of these things. Well, that's why I love you, Truth Barista, because you have such insights on this stuff. And I would think that a lot of people following Jesus today have no clue of what you just said. I mean, they've never been taught on it. It's never been an emphasis in the church they attend. So at least we're giving people the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey used to say. (laughs) Exactly. And really what I recommend to people is, Find people who understand how this all fits together. It's one book and start from the beginning and learn through the whole thing. It's not that hard. It does take some, it does take effort and it takes time because it's such a big book. Speaking of insights, I really like what my pastor said the other day. He said, we often look at the gospels and we see the red letters of Jesus, right? And you know why they're red, because... Because Jesus spoke of it. Oh, no. Exactly. Oh, okay. So they they <laughs> I highlight. Thought, I thought I got it wrong, but I got it no, right. No, Yay! No, no. <laughs> you know, they, they write them in red, so it's like, pay special attention to what Jesus said. But when you really think of it, Jesus is God. He is the source of the entire Bible. The entire Bible are the red letters of Jesus. How's that for a mind blower? Well, no, that's pretty good. Yeah. You know, I haven't heard that before. That's yeah, good. that is it was a great thought, and he's absolutely right. All this is inspired by God, so it's all the red letters of Jesus, just written down through different vessels, prophets and whatnot. Well, I don't know if you're ready to get into the current teaching, because you've just been unpacking where we've been in the past. But I know today, and I'm really, really looking forward to it, is you're starting in Matthew 7. 13, one of my favorite scripture verses, because it identifies how narrow we are to live. Am I right on that? You're absolutely right. Absolutely right. In fact, let me back up just a little bit. When we started Matthew chapter 7, it was about judging. So this is what Jesus taught us. 
we have to judge carefully because we have a judge. We have to make sure we're cleaned up and see clearly before we help another person. If they reject us, then we have to pray about it. And our gracious Heavenly Father will eagerly provide what we need to help that person. And why should we go through all of this? It's because it fulfills the Torah and the prophets. And this brings us full circle into Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to I'm going to tie the two ends of the circle together. Are you ready for this? Okay. Okay, here's the connection, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. This is the Torah and the prophets, or the law and the prophets. What has Jesus been teaching his disciples in Matthew 5 through 7? How to interpret and apply the Torah and the prophets in their lives as our king intended them to be. It's not to gain righteousness, but how to live the righteousness we've already been given. In other words, you've been brought into God's kingdom. Here's the laws of the land. This is how you live in God's kingdom. And by the way, this is related. This judging thing is related to the rest of it because, you know, Jesus is saying this is what it means to not murder somebody and not to commit adultery and and how to pray and how not to judge. Why? The judging thing is if you see clearly another disciple is doing it wrong. In other words, living the Torah wrong. Here's how to judge it properly and how to bring them correction. And in doing so, treat them as you would like to be treated if you were doing it wrong. That's how you wrap that part up. Now we're going to move into something that's still related. It carries the thought through. And it is verses 13 through 20, a life or death decision. Okay, Matthew 7, 13 through 20. Doing things God's way or not is a life or death decision. So here we go. Verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. But how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. Be on guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree that produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. Wait, okay, you ready to unpack this? Well, yeah, okay. I think it's, I mean, we're talking about an orchard, aren't we? I mean, uh, it's a fruit grower. No, it's not yeah, really. exactly. <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. He's talking about animals there, and then he switches metaphors midstream, starts talking about fruit trees, kind of throws people off, I'm sure. But Jesus is saying, notice that he's using the word life and death, and it involves a choice. Do you see that? I do, life. yes. Uh-huh. Okay. If the Sermon on the Mount, as we talked about before, is put together to echo Moses' giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai, then Jesus is finishing his sermon like Moses finished his sermon at the end of Deuteronomy. Okay, let me explain this. In the original giving of the Torah, it says that Moses went up onto the Mount and received the Torah from God. The way the rabbis look at it is they say God sat down on the Mount of Sinai. He called his disciples to him, the people of Israel, and then he began to teach them. How does Jesus' Sermon on the Mount start? Jesus went up, 
sat down on the mountain, called his disciples to him, and then started teaching them. It's a perfect parallel. Okay, so if Jesus is at the end of his sermon, so we're at the end of Moses' Torah. So you have to go back to Deuteronomy. So here we go. First, by Jesus referring to a life or death choice, that would prompt a Jewish mind to remember, to think of Moses' farewell. Moses also lays a choice before them. It says in Deuteronomy 11.1, Therefore, Moses says, love the Lord your God and always keep his mandate and his statutes, ordinances, and commands. To God, love and obey are always linked. One shows they love God by obeying him. If there's no obedience, there's no evidence that you love him. What do you think of that? Well, that's very interesting. You know, I read something recently that talked about love and relationship. You know, if, if you don't have a relationship, there is no love. I mean, how can you have love with no relationship, right? Exactly. And so it's the same principle. So very good. I love it. Yeah. The idea of love in a covenant relationship has nothing to do with feelings. We talked about this before. In covenant language, love means faithfulness. It's following through with allegiance. So think of it in these terms. To God, faithfulness and obedience are always linked. One shows that they have still are faithful to God and are backing up their allegiance to him by obeying him. In other words, if you don't obey God, you're not in a covenant relationship with him. You're not being faithful to him. There's no allegiance to him. So this is why God says that. If, you, if you're pledging your allegiance to me, you're going to show up by doing what I tell you to do. If you don't do it, then you're not following through with your allegiance. You know, I was just reading, because I'm reading through the Bible, right? And I'm, I got to Second Chronicles chapter 16, and it kind of says the same thing here. It says, For the eyes of the Lord roam throughout the earth to show himself strong to those who wholeheartedly are devoted toward him. Isn't that good? I mean, he's looking for people to be faithful to him. And as he finds them, he blesses them, as, as I read that anyway. Well, and in the same covenant language, he's looking for people who will pledge their allegiance to him and follow that pledge up by obedience. And when you're obedient, then God blesses you. I mean, it's really not hard to understand, is it? But it's harder well, to do, right? I mean, it's sometimes it's hard for humans to be obedient to God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's easy and simple, but yet hard to do. Well, and then think of this, too. If we just say that love is a feeling then if I don't have the feeling, I don't have to obey God. That's not what he's saying, is if you pledge your allegiance to me, then whether you feel like it or not, you obey me, period. Well, yeah, and that's perfect. And I, and I know love isn't a feeling. Do you know what is a feeling, Truth Barista? Well, a feeling is that hot coffee going down so smooth and nice, and it's just the aroma. Now that's a feeling. Okay, <laughs> then why don't you douse me with a cupful of that feeling? I'll be right back. Our culture is confused, and that confusion is spilling over into everything today. God is never confused, and those who know Him and obey Him are never confused. Confusion is the absence of truth. But here on this program, we untangle our culture's confusion with the truth. Thanks for listening. Recruit, line up! What are you blubbering about? 
Life is tough. The struggle is real, Sarge. How can I see my way to navigate life better? I go to highbeamministry.com. High Beam Ministry, as in car high beams. High Beam Ministry shines the light of God's truth on the road ahead, Sarge. The Truth Barista podcast covers all sorts of topics from the Bible's point of view. And they don't shy away from the really tough stuff. And, and, and while you're there, check out the totally awesome Frothy Thoughts blog. It's really neat. Tap the subscribe button and enter your email address, Sarge, so Highbeam Ministry can let you know when new stuff is posted. Go to highbeamministry.com. All one word, highbeamministry.com, because the struggle is real. You know what makes me sad? You do! Maybe we should chug on over to Mamby Pamby Land, where maybe we can find some self-confidence for you, you jackwagon! Go to highbeamministry.com. All one word, highbeamministry.com, because the struggle is real. Okay, so before we broke for coffee and that wonderful feeling that coffee brings, hey, yeah. okay, Jesus is ending his time on the mountaintop like Moses ended his time on the mountaintop, so to speak, with Deuteronomy, his ending of the Torah. So Moses says, therefore, love the Lord your God and always keep his mandate and his statutes, ordinances, and commands. In other words, if you're going to be faithful to me, then you have to do what I tell you to do. Also, in Deuteronomy 11, the Lord says through Moses, keep every command I am giving you today so that you may have the strength to cross into and possess the land you are to inherit. So they're moving toward a destination. And so that you may live long in the land the Lord swore to your fathers to give them and their descendants. God's commands are their source of strength in life. So in the previous one, no obedience shows that there's no love. No obedience shows that there's no strength or life, and you won't reach the promised land. You're not going to live in the promised land. Thirdly, Moses says in Deuteronomy 32, 47, but they are your life, and by them you will live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. God's word is not meaningless either no matter what it is, but meant to establish our lives on solid ground. So in other words, no obedience means we have no stability and no staying power. So all that being said, they now have a choice. Look, Moses says, today I set before you a blessing and a curse. There will be a blessing if you obey the commands of the Lord your God I'm giving you today, and a curse if you do not obey the commands of the Lord your God, and you turn aside from the path, the road that I command you today by following other gods you have not known. That's Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 28. So here's a choice, and let me know if this sounds familiar. Their choice is this. Either follow God's commands, which lead to life and blessing, or follow another road or path that leads to death and a curse. So that really does make obedience to God a matter of life 
and death. Wow. Now that I love. I mean, you really tied that thing together. You know, the other thing I noticed real quick, and I don't want to take away with what you just said, but I just got to get this said. You talked about strength to face, you know, to overcome whatever they were going to overcome in taking over the land, right? So today we need strength to face the kind of culture that we are facing today, or that culture will destroy us. It will gobble us up. And so exactly. I, th- I think there is a parallel there as well. Well, just even as a quick bunny trail on that, the word that God gave them to give them strength is Jehovah told his people, don't worry about the Canaanites. I'm going ahead of you to deal with this. I am with you. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. When you hold on to his word, that does give you strength. So you're absolutely right. Okay. So first of all, Moses is encouraging his people to stay faithful to God's word. Now Moses is encouraging God's people to choose the right road. Now, God's road is difficult, but it's not impossible. Deuteronomy 30 verse 11 says this, This command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. Why is it difficult? Because our human nature fights against God's ways. (laughs) We want our way. We want the easy, comfortable, self-pleasing way. Wow. Wow. And sadly, God's path is, no, don't do it your own way. It only leads to death. You do it my way, it's tough, but it leads to life. So at least you got that going for you, which is nice. (laughs) Okay. Now, though difficult, God commands them to choose life. Deuteronomy 30, 19 actually the first part of 19. I call heaven and earth as witnesses against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. So here Moses at the end of the Torah says, you have an opportunity now to choose life or death. It's either God's way or no way. So you look at Jesus 13 through 14. Jesus says, and let me know if this sounds familiar. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the road is broad that leads to destruction, death. And there are many who go through it. Verse 14, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Do you see the parallel? Oh, absolutely. Perfect. Yeah, Moses is saying to the people, hey, choose the, make the right choice. Choose life. Jesus is saying, enter the narrow gate. Why? Because it leads to life. So do you think the people that were listening to Jesus speak this in Matthew 7, do you think they, they made this connection to Moses or was it obscure to them? No, I'm pretty sure they did because most of the people in Jesus' day, because they didn't have immediate access to information like we do, they had much of the scriptures memorized. Okay. At you know, especially the Torah, Mm -hmm. they had it memorized. In fact, most kids started with the book of Leviticus when they started learning. And most children had a significant part of the Torah memorized by the time they hit 13. So do you think that the reason he was hated wasn't for his teaching as, you know, as much as it was what he said he was doing? He's the Messiah or inferred that he was the Messiah. Was that the reason they really hated him? Because the teaching seemed like he was just referring to the Old Testament and bringing it forward, right? I'm just trying to help figure this out here because, I mean, he just seemed like he was just following in line with Moses. Yeah, they didn't 
particularly like him because he did declare himself to be the Messiah, and that would make him King David's descendants and would put everybody at odds with the Romans. And who wants to see your whole nation crushed because of the Romans? Okay, yeah, right. that was definitely a part of it. But they also didn't like him because he taught against a lot of what their conclusions were regarding the Torah. In other words, Jesus says, I'm going to teach the Torah right, and I'm going to apply it right. Well, the problem is that sometimes butted up against what the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes taught. In some cases, they didn't interpret it rightly, and they didn't apply it rightly, and it became an oppressive thing for people to carry on their shoulders day after day. Jesus looks at the people and says, no, if you learn the Torah my way and do it my way, that yoke on your shoulders that keeps you walking down the path is light, and it's actually easier to do. See, and that's where a lot of this strife between Jesus and the leadership came was this whole, you're teaching the Torah wrong, Jesus. You're leading the people astray. And as a side note, you're taking them away from our control and you're taking them away from, you know, our being in our sheep. You're stealing sheep, Jesus. Mm. <laughs> wow. How about that one? Well, that's pretty insightful if you ask me. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's unpack this 13 and 14 before our time runs out today. So gates. What about gates? Gates are a starting point. They can also be an end point. But in this case, Jesus is saying, enter the gate and stay on the path. So a gate is a doorway to a road. One gate starts us down the road of life. The other starts us down the road to death. What's the narrow gate? Well, think Hebraically, think in pictures, okay? Link the pictures. Jesus said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I've come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. Do you see that? Jesus uses the same kind of language. A wide gate, world, a way to death. So here, Jesus is making that same comparison. Our starting point is Jesus himself. He's the gate. He's the narrow gate. Jesus says, nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now you have roads. Let's talk about roads. What is this road, in quotation marks, Jesus is talking about? It's our life as we live it. What determines which road we travel? The gate we choose. What determines how we stay on that road? The instructions that guide us along the way. Now think of this. Have you ever driven through, say, the Rocky Mountains or some really hilly stuff like the Blue Ridge Mountains? Yes, I have. Absolutely. Yep. Have you ever been absolutely terrified when you, you know, look over the edge and you see how far that drop is? Well, especially there's no guardrail. You better know it. Ah, you said the magic word. What would keep you on the road if you happen to start straying while you're driving? It would be the guardrail. Guardrail. Yeah. That is what the Torah is. God's word is to our lives. It is the guardrail to keep us on the path and from going over the edge. Now, if you really want to, you can jump the guardrail, but there's only going to be one outcome. <laughs> it always leads to death. Wow. Yeah, it's quite a fall. 
Okay. Teresa, we don't have a lot of time, and, and I just want to ask a question, and you can pick up uh, next week with your answer. But this is what's very interesting to me, because in these verses, it says in verse 14, how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life. And that's something we don't hear a lot in the modern church. We hear everything is great, everything's going to be fabulous, and God's got your back. But he says here, it's not only narrow, but the road that leads to life will be difficult. That opened my eyes not too long ago when I read that. I thought, hmm, we're missing some things in our preaching today. Yeah, I agree. And that brings up a question. Why is it difficult? Because the way to life gate is narrow, that's Jesus, and the road is tough because God has a single defined way that we should live, which is obeying his directions, his guidelines, and his commands, and it fights against our natural desires. That's why it's tough to follow God's way. That's why it's a rocky road, because I don't want to do things God's way most of the time. I want to do things my way. Or I want to cuss out somebody who's ticking me off. I want to punch somebody in the face or all those wonderful things. Yeah, yeah I see that shocked look on your face. Wow, truth barista. You better get another cup of coffee. I think you're kind of going off the rails here. Well, I think that's the reason why I'm too much coffee. Okay, but this is the this is seriously, this is what I'm talking about. The way to death gate is broad because it's everything but Jesus, and the road is easy because there are multiple unspecified ways to live. The death road is an anything-goes road that may feel like it, but as Proverbs says, and here's the kicker, there is a way, a road, that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Like Moses, Jesus says the right road is tough, but it's not an impossible one. You start with Jesus and you live his way. So that unpacks just those few verses right there. Truth Barista, once again, you've been so insightful. I mean, I, I just, this is great. And I hope the people over there in that next booth, boy, they are all ears. In fact, they stopped their conversation just to hear you. I think this is great. Tell you what, do this. Bring them a cup of coffee, invite them back for next Friday. And I they will. can listen in. All right. This is Jay, your Truth Barista. Thanks for listening to the Truth Barista podcast. The best way to find out when a new podcast drops is through your favorite podcast stream. The Truth Barista podcast is streamed via 10, count them 10, different podcast streams. Amazon Podcasts, Apple iTunes Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Radio Public, the RSS feed, Simplecast, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. You can go to our website, truthbarista.com, hover over the icons, and pick your favorite podcast stream. Thanks for listening.